You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, amen. What an amazing time of worship. What a time to uh, glorify God who uh, came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, who died a death that he didn't deserve but rose again to prove he was who he said he was and he accomplished exactly what he was going to accomplish. And uh, it's great to have you here. Hey, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 4 in uh, just a moment as we look at the last message in our, our series, The Great Exchange. And this message is about the final exchange, the exchange of our condemnation for Um, salvation all accomplished in uh, Jesus Christ. But you have to imagine what was going on on Sunday morning for the followers of Jesus Christ, uh, for the disciples, for the women, and for other people as uh, they come to uh, this morning. um, See, just like three days earlier, they were all on the Jesus is going to be the king plan. Um, the week before, they'd gone in Jerusalem saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king of the Jews. And, and they were thinking Christ was going to be on the throne and he'd be wearing a, a kingly crown for uh, being the king over Jerusalem. Uh, but the reality is that crown of, of, uh, that they thought he was going to have was exchanged for a crown of thorns that was uh, rammed on his head. And, and so for these last three days, they're wondering. Uh, they're not sure. They must have been pretty much overwhelmed. Perhaps they thought back to when Jesus said, you destroy this temple and in three days I will, I will raise it up. But it's Sunday morning. Uh, the burial of Jesus Christ was accomplished on Friday. It had to be done because Christ had to be off of the cross. He couldn't be on the cross on the Sabbath. He had to be buried before the Sabbath. And so hurriedly, all of that had been accomplished and, and Christ was in the tomb And uh, the ladies on uh, Easter Sunday, as we call it, had prepared spices to take to the tomb. And they go up to the tomb, and as they get there, they're not sure how they're ever going to get in. And when they arrive at the tomb, they find that the tomb is open. It says uh, in the New Testament, it says, when the Sabbath was passed. See, this is the earliest they could have gone. They couldn't have gone on the Sabbath. Uh, That would have been breaking the the law for them. And so they couldn't go. And so they had to go first thing on, on Sunday morning. The time from sundown on Friday Friday to sunrise on Sunday must have been dark and empty and desperate for the disciples, for the followers of, of Jesus Christ. Christ is dead, wasn't even properly buried, and so they go to anoint him. And the spices that they were taking were not spices for mummification, but rather they were to offset the odors that would happen from decomposition. And so these ladies go. And these ladies are the first ones to understand and see that Jesus Christ is risen. The women have proved themselves to be the most devoted followers of Jesus and were the first to proclaim his resurrection. And so they see Jesus and they run and they tell the disciples and Peter and John go off on a race to get to the tomb first, marveling yet not understanding what has happened, what has been accomplished. It's Easter. Jesus Christ is risen. 
The news is starting to spread and despair is now gone because Jesus Christ is alive. And after his resurrection, before he goes to heaven, Jesus appears to Simon Peter. And then he appears to the two on the road to Emmaus. And then he appears to the ten. Remember, Thomas wasn't there. And he said, unless I see. And then he appears to the eleven eight days later. And then he appears at the Sea of Galilee and he eats with the disciples. And Peter, the Peter, the one who lopped off the high priest's servant's ear, who says, I will never deny you, who has denied the Lord three times, who felt so overwhelmed and so devastated as the Lord looked up and saw Peter in the midst of those trials. And Peter goes out and, and it's by the seaside that the Lord Jesus Christ restores Peter. What an amazing picture of what God has done for us in our undeserving state that we find ourselves in and yet restored. He restores Peter. Jesus appeared to a crowd of up to 500 people. And then he appears to James and then to all of the apostles. So in Romans chapter 8, as Paul is writing this to the church at Rome, well over 500 people have seen Jesus Christ alive. Most of them are still alive as he's writing this down. There were people who you could go to, you could talk to. They had seen Jesus Christ risen from the dead. See, I think sometimes we, we wrestle with that a little bit because we're like, well, how didn't they see it? Why didn't they get it right away? Why did they struggle so much? Uh, let's remember that in Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you have the indwelling spirit of God. You now have the whole counsel of God. Um, we can look back with 2020 vision and we can see it. For them, it was moving from, I think he's going to be the king of Jerusalem, to he's dead and he's gone. What has happened? And now he is alive. And they begin to rejoice and they rejoice in what God has done and what God has accomplished and and we rejoice in what God has done, what God has accomplished on this Easter. Well, the text I want us to look at today is found in Romans chapter 8. So let's stand together. We want to uh, read God's word. We want to honor him. And I'm going to read just the first four verses. The real nugget in this is in verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But just let that sink in for a second. Because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the amazing truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is not dead. He is alive. And Lord, now he, he intercedes on our behalf. And we can come to you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So God, would you give us ears to hear your word today, minds to understand it, and then hearts, Lord, to receive it and to live passionately because of all that you have done for us. We pray these things in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ's name. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, we've been looking at this series called The Great Exchange. The exchange is the act of giving one thing and receiving another. And uh, we saw in the first two messages what we exchanged, and we saw how we exchanged the glory of God for the glory of self. Instead of focusing on God and God's glory, uh, mankind, us included, uh, took the glory of God on ourselves. That was the first message. The second message was how we exchanged righteousness, a right relationship with God uh, for sinfulness. It happened in in the garden, and as a result, sin is placed on all of mankind. And on Good Friday, we saw how Christ exchanged the righteousness, his righteousness, for my sin. And today, the final exchange, we see that Christ exchanged our condemnation for salvation. Coming out of uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, um, that word, he became sin. He became sin. Jesus himself did not become a sinner. He never became a sinner. Now, that statement would be untrue. Jesus became the representative sin bearer. That's what he became. He identified in our sin 100%. He did it for us so we, by faith, might become righteousness, may become righteous, which is the absolute opposite of sinful. And so Christ took our sin on himself so that we could be righteous, so that we could be right with God, so that we could be in a place where God would receive us as his children, Jesus took our punishment for sin on the cross and yet remained the perfect Savior through the whole ordeal. And that is proved by his resurrection. So two things we want to see today. The first one, in the final exchange, we want to see condemnation for salvation is accomplished. Condemnation for salvation, it's accomplished. The first thing we want to see is the work that is done under that point. It's in verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The positive thing we want to see here is that God has done. That's what it says. For God has done. You couldn't do it. Mankind couldn't do it. God has done. God has done statements are found all throughout the scriptures. I picked a few that start with the word but. Um, in uh, Genesis 50, verse 20, remember Joseph and going through that whole ordeal and at the end of it, he says, you meant it for evil, but God. But God, he meant it for good. Psalm 94, 22, but the Lord, but the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. Acts 13, 20, but God raised him from the dead. Uh, Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's one of the most amazing but God statements in the entire scripture. But God shows his love for us in that while I was a sinner, while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. In Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy. 
So here's mankind on his path, going after what he goes after, striving for what he wants, and leading to a, a life that will be separated from God for eternity, in hell, filled with destruction, but God. And so that statement, God has done. God has done. That's the positive. Here's the negative. What the law could not do, weakened by the flesh. So the people were trying to live by the law. People still try to do that all the time. We try to live by our good works. We try to live by what we do. And, and the law could not save anyone. What the law could not do, weakened by the flesh. Remember, the problem ultimately is not in the law. The problem ultimately is in us. The law was given as an example. The law was given as a standard. The law was given so that we might seek to live out, but we kept failing and we keep failing and we keep failing. And, and all of the blood sacrifices were blood sacrifices that were looking forward to what Jesus Christ would accomplish. And that's why they had to be done every year over and over and over again. And we're going to see an amazing statement uh, from First Peter in just a few minutes about that. But they had to keep doing it over and over and again because it was a picture. It was a picture leading to what Jesus Christ would do. God has done what the law couldn't do. Here's the solution. By sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh. Remember I said Christ didn't become a sinner. We could not say that Jesus came in sinful flesh because he was sinless. We could not say that Jesus came in the likeness of flesh because he really was human, not just like a human. But we can say that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh because although he was human, he was not sinful in himself. Sin was condemned in the flesh of Jesus as he bore the condemnation that we deserved. The work is done. God has done what the law could not do, weakened by the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of flesh. And then the text goes on in verse 4 in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. What God had said is now being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then it talks about us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. A walk is a follower of Jesus Christ seeking to be like him. It's not an optional event. It's not something like, okay, I understand Jesus Christ came. He died on a cross. And I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And now I can live however I want. No, there's a walk that goes with it. The walk doesn't save you. The walk is the demonstration that you are saved. It's the response you give when you understand what Christ has done on a cross, how awesome his work is. He did that for me. I put my trust in Christ and he saved me. I want to live for him. I want to live for him. That's the walk, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, who walk not striving after what we want, but striving after what God wants for us. In 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, it says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And what we couldn't see, what we were blind in before, it's been removed. Now, the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. There's a transformation that is happening in the lives of every follower of Jesus Christ as we walk 
as we walk in a way that is designed to bring him glory. Well, I want you to keep your fingers in uh, Romans chapter 8, but I want you to flip over to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 because there's a, uh, a verse here that I want us to see in this whole idea. It's a great picture of what Christ has done in the condemnation for, a sal- for, us for salvation is accomplished. It's found in 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. Verse 18, one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. For Christ also suffered once for sins. See that? Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Christ also suffered once for sins. Remember in the Old Testament, the sacrifices happened every year, over and over and over and over again. And every year you went back and every year you were reminded and every year the sacrifice happened. And and Peter just says this so well. Christ also suffered once for sin. Why is that statement so true? Well, here's three thoughts that go with this. The first word is because what Christ did was sufficient. Christ suffered once for sin. Why? Because it was sufficient. It's all that God required. He did what the law couldn't do. He was the the lamb, the spotless lamb that could be sacrificed. He was the one who could pay a price. He was the one who did. He was the sufficient sacrifice. Here's another word though. Christ also suffered once for sins, and that's the word vicarious. Vicarious, we talked about that word before. The word means for me, in my place. Not only was the work sufficient to save, but the work was a vicarious work. It was for me. It was done in my place. And so when you see these words, for Christ also suffered once for sin, we understand just how amazing that is what God has done. Not only the sufficiency of it, but that he did it for me. He did it in my place. And then the last word that we want to see is a word we saw the other day when we talked about propitiation. Propitiation. Once for sins. Why? That word propitiation means to satisfy the wrath of God, to satisfy the judgment of God, to, to uh, accomplish what needed to be accomplished. Only Jesus Christ could do that. And so when we think about the reality that it is accomplished, the work of our salvation is accomplished, it's accomplished because of who Jesus Christ was. In the sufficiency of the work, it was enough. In the vicariousness of the work, it was for me. And in the propitiation of the work, it satisfied the wrath of God. What an amazing hope that we have as followers of Christ. And this is love, not that we have loved God, because we didn't, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath for us. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The work is done. Righteousness is restored. It says in that verse in First Peter, it says once for all, um, the righteous for the unrighteous that we that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The righteous for the unrighteous. 
So we've been learning some words as we've been going through this. We learned about vicarious. We've learned about propitiation. We'll talk about the word like sanctification, being made more like God in our walk. Here, here's another word that you need to know and understand. It's the word imputation. The word imputation. This is really the concept of the great exchange. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what does imputation mean? Well, to really break it down to make it simple for me to understand, it'd be like this. Uh, put that on my account. Put that on my account. Um, a great illustration of it is when Paul wrote in Philemon verse 18. If he has wronged you, he's talking about Onesimus who's being returned. And he says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. That's what this word imputation means. Put that on my account. Have you ever been out with somebody who's uh, wealthier than you are? Maybe you're away on a, at a resort or something and, and uh, they buy you uh, um, a hamburger and uh, fries and you're by the pool and you're like, well, life is so cool here. I'm living above my pay grade. And, and the guy comes with the thing and you look at the bill and you're like, oh my goodness, like that's a mortgage payment right there. And the guy takes it and he goes, put that on my account. That's the picture here. Put that on my account. If you forget everything else about Easter, don't forget that. That's Jesus Christ. Put that, put that on my account. Three pictures of imputation we all need to understand. The first one is the imputation of sin to us. The imputation of sin to us. Uh, when we sinned, our sin was put on our account. That was put on my account. I'm a sinner. I got to carry the whole load of that debt. And I can't deal with that. I can't get that right. That's the first picture you want to see about imputation. It's the imputation of sin to us all. But that's just one picture. And fortunately, because of God's grace, it doesn't end there. The second picture of imputation is our sin imputed to Christ. My sin imputed to Christ. Christ on the cross, Christ paying the price, Christ taking my sin is the Lord Jesus Christ saying, take that winning stall guy's sin and put that on my account. I'm going to take care of that. George, your sin on Christ, imputed. It's like, I got that covered for you. I've got that taken care of for you. My sin. Put on his account. That's the second picture. The third picture is his righteousness put on me. So not only do I have this sin debt that I can't take care of, it's imputed to me, but now my sin has been imputed to Christ, put on his account. But what's even more amazing than that, it doesn't just stop there. His righteousness is put on my account. Huh? How doesn't that just blow us away? When we think about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, that my sin is put on him and his righteousness is put on me. Philippians 3, 9 says, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Why? Because you don't have any righteousness. Your righteousness is like filthy rags, the Old Testament says. Your righteousness is Christ's righteousness put on you. The righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. At the end of that verse in 1 Peter, it says um, that he might bring us to God. 
How awesome is that? My sin put on Christ. His righteousness put on me. You didn't earn any of that. You didn't deserve any of that. That's totally from God. Why? That he might bring us to God. How wrong is it for us as followers of Jesus Christ not to be blown away by that reality? How wrong is it for you as a follower of Jesus Christ not to be overwhelmed by the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and our desire ought to be like, oh my word, what God has done for me. I need to give my life. I need to give it all up. The things that I thought were so important, the priorities that I have, everything has to come under what Christ has done for us. That he might bring us to God. Here I am separated from God. I can't fix this problem. And Christ is bringing me to God. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There isn't another way to get to God. Now, people out in our world think there's all kinds of different ways. There's different religions. You get to God through this religion. You get to God through this religion. You get to God uh, through good works. You get to God through trying harder, being a good person. You, I just, I'm okay. I'll stand before God. The scale's away in my balance. And Christ says, there's no other way to God except through me. Uh, that's one of the great struggles of Christianity. There's people look at it. It's like, who do you people think you are? Well, first of all, I just think I'm a sinner who's saved by grace. I'm nothing. But who Christ is, is everything. Because he is the only way to God. There's lots of journeys that people go on that bring them to Christ. But there's only one way to God, and that is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith in Christ, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Well, it's accomplished. Condemnation for salvation is accomplished, but here's the next thing. Condemnation for salvation is available. It's available. Back over to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Two thoughts about this. The first one is the what. The what is there's no condemnation. None. Too many followers of Christ walking around in condemnation. Why why are you doing that? Do you not believe what God's word says? Do you not believe what Christ did? Do you not believe that your sin was put on Christ? Do you not believe that your righteousness was put on God? But you're like, yeah, but I sinned this week. You don't understand. Well, get right with God. Get on your face before the Lord and confess your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Some of you have committed a sin and you're like, it's so big, pastor, it's just so big. Do you not think Jesus Christ can take care of that? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now stop that sin and start focusing on Christ and love him more and focus on what he's done and flee from your sinful ways and flee towards the cross. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing hope. That's an amazing truth. I don't get to God based on my merit. I get to God based on what he has accomplished and I am not condemned. No condemnation means that God will never condemn us to an eternity separated from himself 
for our sin. The reason is that the believer is in Christ Jesus. The Savior has suffered the consequence for your sin as our substitute. And the verdict is in, and for you, there is no condemnation. We don't receive it because we don't deserve condemnation. We certainly do deserve condemnation. We receive it because Jesus bore the condemnation that we deserve. And our identity is now found in Jesus Christ. That's the what. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the who. Who are in Christ. Who are in Christ. That word is so pivotal. That word is so significant. It's not those who understand about Jesus Christ. It's not those who like the idea of Jesus Christ. It's those who are in Jesus Christ. If you are not in Jesus Christ, then you are under condemnation. You're like, who do you think you are? I come to visit church and you tell me I'm condemned. Hey, you need to understand, I was condemned once. I was under condemnation before I was in Christ. But then I came to the understanding of what Christ has done and what he has accomplished for me. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But if you're trying to get to God through your good works or through another means or another spiritual journey you're on, there's condemnation that's coming. That condemnation is separation from God in a place that the Bible calls hell for eternity. There's condemnation for you. But there isn't any condemnation for those who are in Christ. There isn't any. And we get that taken care of in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get that taken care of when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When you come to the understanding of, oh my goodness, I'm a mess. I can't fix this. I'm going to stand before God. And his standard isn't goodness. His standard is sinlessness. And you're like, okay, hashtag fail. Everybody in the room, that's a fail for all of us. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. But Christ fixed it because he took our sin on himself. And he put his righteousness on me. How awesome is that? I'm going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, Paul, why should I let you into my heaven? I don't think it's quite, quite work like that. But for the picture of this. Why should I let you into my heaven? And my answer is going to be, because I'm with him. I'm with Jesus Christ. He's the reason I can stand here. There's no condemnation because of what he did. I was a mess. Unbelievable thing. I put my faith in Christ and he took all of my sin on himself. Not only that, he put all of his righteousness on me. See, that's what Easter is all about. That's what's been accomplished for us. That's why Jesus Christ came. And there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And the question is, are you in Christ today? Are you in Christ today? If you come to that place of understanding, I am walking this way in my life, and it's not taking me anywhere good. I am separated from God. I can't fix it. I'm going to turn in repentance and faith, and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand you're a sinner. Believe the work of Christ. Accept that finished work of Christ for you, and you are saved. I don't have to sign anything. No, nope, you don't have to come to church. I, you will, but I don't have to come. To, I'm not saved by going to church. I'm not saved by putting money in the offering plate. I'm not saved by doing stuff. I'm saved by what Jesus Christ did. All of the rest of that happens because it's so awesome what God has done. It's like he gets my life. He gets the rest of it because of what Christ has done. Our salvation is complete. 
Romans 8, uh, John 8, 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Galatians 5, 1 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. I am saved. And, and in sanctification, I'm growing up in Jesus Christ. And one day, I'm going to spend eternity with him in heaven. Well, so what? So what? Romans 8.1 teaches us that we are free from the guilt of sin. Romans 8.2 teaches us that we are free from the power of sin. And one day we know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we'll be free from the very presence of sin because Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ in my place. How humbling is that? Christ in my place, how freeing is that? Christ in my place, how hopeful is that? Christ in my place, how promising is that? Christ in my place, how gracious is that? Christ in my place, how loving is that? Christ in my place, how awesome what God has done. Believer, as you hear the word today, you should be drawn to repentance of things in your own life. You should be drawn to a passion to live for Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, the Bible says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What he has accomplished, he has accomplished. You can choose to accept it. You can choose to reject it. But the Bible says every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. And I would urge you, I would beg you, I would implore you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. What's at stake? Eternity's at stake. We're going to sing some songs, amazing songs to finish our service that get us a focus on where we're going and what Christ has done and how awesome this is for us. Let's get our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ who suffered and died so that our sin could be put on him, his righteousness could be put on us, and I have no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of it. We thank you for the stir of it. We thank you for the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It proved he was who he said he was. It proved he did what he said he would do, and as the final work of Christ in his death Father he became the lamb he became the sacrifice but he became my hope and his grace is poured out and his love is poured out on us let us never set that aside Lord we look forward to a great day we look forward to great things coming as we live for you Lord but then we will spend eternity with you so God do this work in us do it for your glory and we pray these things in Jesus name Amen